0: If you or someone you know is struggling with alcoholism or addiction, do not hesitate to reach out for help. You can find numerous free resources on our website, thebeginagainpodcast.com, and there are tons of resources and support networks available online, in person, or just a phone call away. You don't have to face this challenge alone. Welcome to the Begin Again Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Menkes. On the Begin Again podcast, we delve into the inspiring journeys of individuals who have overcome alcoholism and addiction and emerge as true trailblazers in entrepreneurship, business, sports, and beyond. Through authentic, uplifting, and profound conversations with our guests, we aim to shatter the stigma surrounding addiction and demonstrate that recovery can be a catalyst for remarkable success, strength, and resilience. We firmly believe that by listening to these accounts, you will be empowered to unlock your own potential, instigate positive change in your life, and contribute to the creation of a better world. So, get ready to be inspired and embark on your own personal journey of growth with the Begin Again podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Begin Again podcast. I'm your host, Gary Menkes, and today I am super excited to have two guys that I've been following in this podcast, Sober Out Loud's Recovery Out Loud world of ours, Charlie and Jason from the Way Out podcast. Good morning, guys. How are we doing today? Morning, morning,
1: (laughs) morning, morning, morning. I am so excited, Gary, to be on the Begin Again podcast podcast.
0: Well, I appreciate it and you know, we had a really good conversation yesterday, Charlie, and it's funny. I'm going down this road of podcasting this this rabbit hole which it's I, I mentioned yesterday. It's gotten way bigger than me, but the best part about it and I wasn't expecting it or wasn't on my radar was the amazing people that I've been meeting in this world, the amazing communities that people are building in this sober, out loud world and it's uh, it's wonderful to have you guys and it's wonderful to see what you guys are doing and helping so many people.
1: Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And uh, it's humbling to have folks like you look up to us from a recovery podcast perspective. And uh, we're so happy that you're doing what you're doing. And as we talked about on the interview, which will drop uh, 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 sometime here down the line, but what we talked about and how you shared the genesis of the Begin Again podcast is really aligned with the Genesis of the Way Out podcast. And it's rooted in humility. It's rooted in the desire to serve. It's rooted in the idea that we need as many recovery stories out there as possible. And the more voices and the more stories... The more people that we can reach and the more people that can find recovery.
0: That is, you know, just so spot on. Like I said yesterday, you know, my little mantra is to help one person today. And, you know, when I started down this path, there can't be enough of us. You know, you go into certain things and you hear the word, like, oh, well, that's like a saturated market. Like, who I, I hope this one day does become sort of a saturated market. That means the message is really, really getting out there. And like I said, there's this is one, one spot where there can't be enough of us, in my opinion. So I'm super looking forward to hearing your stories today as well. And I'm glad to have both of you on at the same time. I appreciate you both being here. It's Let's a
2: rarity, th- isn't it, Jason? It sure is, man. And, you know, <laughs> I just want to thank you for your kind words, Gary, because it is it is interesting to look back at, at at this whole journey and think about how, you know, I didn't you would if you would have told me i'd ever do something like this in the first place i would have thought you were high you know but then then you look at like it's been like five years or something since i came on as a co-host with the way out and uh i remember showing up to charlie's the first time and i i was like nervous as hell and i did not feel qualified to be coming on as like a host of it you know like i barely could bring myself to go there and share my story when i did you know which was like way before that so it was just like you know you just show up bring the body and the mind will follow you know he taught me his zen master podcasting (laughs) ways and like then we kind of i've kind of made it my own from there and then it's cool because you know we're able to bounce ideas off each other, and we both have different, like, kinds of ideas or different styles, and, like, we respect that with each other, and switch hit the interviews, I think the listeners get a very different experience from both of us, but we have certain elements of it that are the same, and it's just been cool how it's evolved, and, you know, to hear somebody like yourself say you look up to us, it's kind of a trip to me, but i am grateful but i'll tell you what my sponsor told me man like don't put me on a pedestal because i'll piss all over you so (laughs) i i am just a man i I
0: I, I know it's true though it's true what i'm saying and i do you know i think this recovery out loud and charlie just planted that in my head you know i've heard it before and is so important i remember early on for me jason you know, when I was struggling early on and it was really difficult early, when I heard other people sort of in public or maybe, you know, I had a book that was given to me called The Courage to Change. And there was, I remember there was an excerpt, Pete Townsend in there from The Who was sober for so long. And I'm like, wow, these guys are sober. Like that stuff helped me. I'm in meetings for the past 17 plus years and I'm hearing stories, these miracle stories, pretty much every single meeting I get to. And it dawned on me, like, you know, the world needs to hear this, this not just a 10 or 15 or 30 people in this meeting, like- other people could really benefit to hear these stories for sure out loud, as as Charlie loves to say. So, you know, I'm, yeah. it is everything I said is true. I hope you don't, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get out of the way if you uh, if you got to take a leak or something up there. But you're up there. Right <laughs> <then>. <laughs> but Jason, let, I want to hear from you, bud. So tell me how, where were you? What it was like? What happened? And where are you are now?
2: I'm Jason Rudine personal long-term recovery. And for me, that means I haven't had the need to pick up a drink or a drug since July 23rd, 2016. Uh, i stopped shooting up and doing heavier stuff uh, March 3rd of that same year. And I was hitting the meetings hard joined a program like a residential treatment program, you know, sponsored up. I was studying the literature and I was starting to change. And, and, you know, to my surprise, as we say on the show a lot, you know, I, I chose to run the experiment because I was like, I had lost all hope of self-sufficiency within myself. You know, with all the changes I was going through, I still would have a bedtime beer, you know, almost every day, but a lot of days i'd wake up and half of that beer would still be sitting in the can you know like i was studying the literature and highlighting and taking notes and all that shit while i was drinking this bedtime beer you know and to me it it didn't even count like it was off the radar for me and it took a guy that i wanted to be my sponsor to point that out and say you have to like you can't dip your toe in the water and see what this is like you're either all in or you're all out of this shit." and i thought it was harsh at the time so i made a deal with myself that finally after a few weeks of being secretly mad that i was gonna you know make it worth it since it shouldn't count right like Mm. i made a big deal about it not being a big deal if that makes any sense and so i hit up a buddy who had the same has the same birthday as me he's one of my oldest friends husband and i was like dude what's going on for the birthday shenanigans this year and so i went up to their place and i was gonna camp out for the weekend I think I went up the day before our birthday and I did smoke a little weed. I did have a few beers that day, but it was very low key. And the next morning they made breakfast and a couple of them ran to town. And I was just sitting at the kitchen table in the morning and nothing's worse than a head full of AA and a belly full of booze. So I'm like feeling really guilty. And I called that dude and I told him what I did. And he, he was like, oh man, you know, he's laughing at me and shit. And then I, because he didn't know I was mad about the conversation we had, <laughs> or that I was struggling with that decision to like let go of my reservations, so I was like whatever. But I told him no more beers, bro, and that was it, man. I never turned back after that. Uh, so unwittingly, my clean date became my birthday. So July twenty third is my birthday. Also, go. the be- best fucking birthday present I ever gave myself. But uh, yeah, rewinding back, like you know, I grew up in a pretty tumultuous household, single mother. When I was five, my mom got in, like, the worst motorcycle accident. She was, like, the worst recorded head injury in the state of Minnesota at that time. I mean, she was in a coma for, like, three months, hospitalized for over an additional more three months. Her head was, like, the size of a watermelon, dislocated her jaw on both sides, all that shit. And I got bounced around from family members. In one of my uncle's house when I was living there, his son, who was 16, I was five at the time, sexually assaulted me repeatedly during that time. He was kind of my babysitter. They didn't know this was going on, so I bit him on the dick one day, and I ran my naked butt across the street. You know, five years old, and this is in the country, so across the street is like a pretty long way. (laughs) Because I had to go like down the road and find the next driveway. Anyway, rang the doorbell, and I just told him, you know, my cousin, you know, made me suck his pee pee, and he stuck his finger in my butt, and these people, and I am buck naked, you know, five. These these people are like, what? Called the cops. He got in trouble. I got sent to another uncle. And that would ultimately lead to a lot of the uh, issues for me later in life. You know, I bottled it up at the time. That's all kids can do. You know, walk it away. Came back when I was 13 in the form of dreams and it fucked me all up in the head. What else? I also kind of like raised my brother and sister from the time I was eight till I was 13 when my mom was really going through it. with, Because she did survive that accident, you know, and she crossed some wires. I mean, it took mm-hmm. a lot of years for her to find her homeostasis and not be... Uh, hair trigger anger and all this you know and just crazy party girl so she was pretty irresponsible with the party and and i was left to pick up the pieces at a very young age which robbed me of my childhood yada 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 i find drugs when i'm a teenager you know 11, I start smoking weed and drinking, you know, army crawling in my mom's room, stealing her cigarettes, stealing b- beers out of her little, you know, she caught me right away and then she got this little fridge and it was next to her bed. Well, that shit wasn't going to stop me. I fucking was like full, full metal jacket going in there to get the beers and uh, sneaking away to the by the train tracks and getting tossed up. And then when I was 13, I tried heroin for the first time, first time shooting up. OD'd, uh, scared the shit out of me, hung on to the weed and the, uh, the other stuff, you know, the cigarettes and the alcohol until I was like 15. And then I, I started doing heavy shit again and I had a much better experience at that time. I think I was very, by this time I had already gone to a little bit of therapy about the re recurrence of those memories of my sexual abuse. I was very fearful around girls and I didn't feel safe around anybody so I kind of had a really dismal view of like I didn't feel safe at home I didn't feel safe with anybody that should have called friends because I my experience in life was like if, they, if I let them close they're either gonna leave they're gonna let me down they're gonna hurt me and uh so drugs were kind of like a respite for me you know it took away the depression the anxiety the fear the suicidal thoughts that I had and uh You know, probably saved my life at that time. And yeah, I don't know, man. I struggled with the needle for years and years. I I started selling drugs when I was 15. By the time I was 16, I was selling like shrooms, acid, coke, meth, book, you name it. Uh, Shooting up on a regular basis, pretty much running the streets, doing what I want. My mom, you know, I I took every opportunity to guilt her for the life that I had and, and her mistakes that played a part and so i talked her into letting me get emancipated emancipating me when i was 16 i dropped out of school shortly after that and because it was getting in the way and then i started trying trying to get jobs but then i was like always like i don't need this fucking job so i can make a thousand dollars in five minutes and i'm here i don't even make that shit in like three weeks you know and i i just had a chip on my shoulder bro and i all I want to do is party, hustle. I want to be a one-stop shop for all your drug-buying needs. You know, if you need to come down, you know, we can smooth that out. You don't got to take the rough ride, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was my attitude, and I don't know, man. It, it just was a really self-destructive lifestyle for me for a long time. You know, when I finally tried to be a dad, when you know, when I was 18. When I was 17, I lost my virginity. And I think I got her pregnant the first time we had sex. Then when I was eighteen, I had my first kid. When I was twenty, I had my second kid. And I was trying the dad thing through that period for a little bit, but it didn't work out. I you know what they say: like no, no reasons good enough, no consequences great enough uh, to stop the addict from, you know, because we're going to do anything that we can by all means to protect our using. So,
0: hundred percent.
2: I pretty much found myself. Uh, at the point where i was you know 32 and i hadn't seen my kids and fucking since they were one and three so you do the math it's a lot it's like nine ten years at that time and uh i was on my second marriage and i had another baby on the way and the marriage wasn't going good and then i found my way to the bottom of a bottle for For comfort, once again, just back to this hopeless state where my only solution was like to numb and I freaking end up moving in with my mom because I burned every relationship to the ground. And that's when I relapsed because I had quit doing hard stuff for a number of years, you know, and I thought I was a good boy, even though I was still ruining like a tornado with the drinking and the weed and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I didn't have a needle in my arm, so I thought I was a good boy for, for like seven, eight years. And I relapsed on that shit when I was at my, at my mom's house when I was 32. And then it only took a couple of years and I, I got busted on a pretty hefty charge and I was looking at like almost a hundred months in prison, year and a half court case, all that stuff. And I don't know why it was different at this time. I think it was just finally coming to the end of myself, you know like I ran out of options. I always would try something else. You know, you think you learned a lesson, like, I just won't do that anymore. And then this shit won't, I did that my whole life or give up one crutch for another and all that stuff. But I think I like exhausted all the options I could think up on my own finally at the age of 34 35. So, yep. That's when I decided to run the experiment and uh, here I am, dude, I'm coming up next month. I'll have seven years clean. Thank
0: you. Brother another miracle. You know, yeah. your story is just, you know, this is why I do this, Jason, to hear stories like yours because you know, you you know, trust disuse is such a you know, that's not even a word, right? You you were obviously forced to not trust anyone in your life because that's what you were taught, right? And the PTSD that you got from an early age that you carried your whole life, right? Where we got there, not all wow. Now, not all wounds are visible as this t shirt, folks. Like, no doubt, right? You carry that. Like, I can relate to that part of Karen. You mentioned chip on your shoulder. I don't know how many times I said that yesterday with Charlie, chip on my shoulder, a whole lot of times. But this is why I do what we're doing here, because you have this unbelievable story. I've never heard someone sort of kind of ease into like trying this, as you say, experiment, right? But I just love how. You were somehow given this grace of surrender at some point. Your friend's birthday weekend, and you're sitting at the table, and you call your friend who doesn't know that you're mad at him. Which uh, I think is so great. I can relate to that too, right? My my (laughs) early on sponsors, like you know, I was pissed at my early sponsor. He had no idea, but it was going to come. Like you know what I mean? Like one second, it's going to come out, and he's going to know I'm pissed. And any day now, and I and I held it in, and I started kept doing what he was telling me to do, and thank God. But brother, you know now. You tell this unbelievable story, you're facing 100 months in jail, you have just credible background of, of, you know, and people hearing this saying, you know what? Yeah, I get that, you know, and we have that justification, right? But there comes a point where we can either keep going because we can justify our lives, right? Because if you had our life, you had Jason's life, you would do this shit too. In fact, I I bet you Jason's doing it better than you can handle this stuff. But you come to that crossroad and saying, what do I want to do? Do I want to keep living this way? Or do I want to try another way, right? You, you exhausted all of your options, like you said, and you somehow, by the grace of God, sounds like you've been given the the gift of surrender, the gift of desperation, whatever you may want to call it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm looking at you right now, I'm hearing your story and you're helping people every single day in this man, every single day. Are you aware of that? I know you don't, we talked about a pedestal before, right? But sometimes in my experience, it's all right to zoom out a little bit, man, and, uh, You know, give yourself a little proverbial pat on the back. You know, don't take it too. I'm talking for myself. Don't take it too far. You think you're hot. I'm hot shit. And like, I got this because I don't got this. But man, what a fucking story, dude. And you're helping people today, man. You ever You zoom out and say, hey, it's a good day today.
2: Oh, yeah, man. I mean, we we get a lot of messages. I get a lot of people that reach out. I've had the opportunity to, you know, really step in as a supporter, a coach, for a lot of people, you know, in an unofficial basis, just, you know, I've I've made it a priority in my recovery to really educate myself. And, you know, I was certified in like 2019 or 2018 or something like that as a recovery coach through the state of Minnesota, that certified peer recovery specialist. And then I've gone to additional trainings and I continue to do that. In fact, uh, in September, I'm going out to D.C. for Uh, Mobilize Recovery, which is like a whole conference full of workshops where you learn skills about, you know, better support people, how to better share your story in a more effective way, how to, you know, make a direct ask of your community and how how to organize and do, you know, grassroots organizing and stuff like that. And it's like, I'm not doing this shit because i work in the field i'm not doing this shit because i'm trying to you know become famous or something it's just that i want to better equip myself to be more effective at helping others when the time is put in my path you know like god will always put things in my path and i try to maintain that healthy work life recovery balance in the process so I have to weigh those opportunities and make uh, wise decisions about which ones I'm willing to commit to. But, man, I, I do know I've been able to make a lot of difference for a lot of people. And and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God chooses to use me. I mean, I was able to, like, baptize my mom. I, you know, baptized one of my sponsees. And I've walked a couple few guys you know through the steps only one that ever completed them but he's doing really well but even the other guys you know it's like that no matter how little work it's like if they keep in touch and you you still watch that seed bloom at some point you know just some people aren't ready right away right
0: 100 i was gonna say that too right the seed's been planted and and you said at the beginning too you know a, a, a belly full of booze and a head full of AA is a very very tough spot to be in man right but no, yeah, even those, that's my experience too. Like everyone has their journey. Early on, I stopped getting upset with myself. Sponsy went back outside, you know, back out, back out, you know, it's, it's their journey, man. Like you can't force anybody to do this. Like they'll find, they'll find their way when it's their time is if they stay in, you know, if they stay somewhat in touch and I'm, I'm a firm believer if that seed has been planted that, you know, there's, if they have a better chance than if not uh, to, to find our way of life, if you will. Right. Oh, and I
2: always try to let them know, you know, like I'm always here, man. Right. And I will never cast judgment upon you for anything you do, because I'm like, whether you're back using or if you're just in a dark place in your head. I'm like, dude, we all go through it, man. I go through it, too. I always remind these guys, you know, it's like you sometimes you got to treat your head like a bad neighborhood and just don't go there alone, man.
0: Oh, that's dude. so powerful, man. I love that. You reminded me something early on too. I was struggling. I was, you know, first time I ever went to a meeting was 2002 and my sobriety date is 2006. So in between those four years, it was, it was a battle. It was an in and out battle. And I remember going to a meeting and within this time frame, and I'm in a meeting and I'm talking to my semi-sponsor guys trying to help me. And I'm like, I just don't understand. I, I just, you know, I don't get it. Like, you know, I feel like I'm doing good. And then I go back out and I'm on the bender and he goes, I know why you do it. And I'm like, why, why? And he like totally reeled me in. And he looked at me, he goes, you're an alcoholic. I, <laughs> oh yeah, right, right. I forgot about that little tidbit. Yeah, of course. That's right. Yeah, right. That's, we that's very wise reminder. Yeah, really, uh, really deep stuff there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, for so simple. I need a reminder on for sure. You know? <laughs> Fuck,
2: dude, I I got a good good forgetter. That's for yeah, built
0: in forgetter, man, for sure, for sure. It's but we get to learn, home. you know, and and we get to learn to look at ourselves in this program, right? We got to turn stuff around. So, Charlie, yeah. going over there, buddy,
1: living the dream, brother, living the dream. Hey, it's been a minute, by the way since i've heard jason's story front to back and uh lest i forget guys got a heck of a story on him
0: doesn't he that is uh it's that's what i mean that's 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 why i look up to you guys but then to hear your story from, you know start to finish like we just heard jason and it was a quick one i understand like it's well, that's the cliff notes version yeah, for sure no it's right of course of course We'll have to do this, you know, we'll do this again at a later date because uh, I told Charlie yesterday, like, this isn't a one, you know, one and done for me. You know, whether you guys like it or not, this, I'm Hell big on yeah. relationships, man. And I'm going to, I'm going to stay in touch with you boys for sure.
2: Dude, that's Love awesome. it. Yeah. And I think it'd be cool, you know, if we, if we do this more, you know, we could rock some topics, you know, like really just yeah. dig into certain things. And
0: no doubt. Fuck, you never know could, what it, crazy
2: look, stories
1: could. That's oh. right. We could do a super show, right? So there's all yeah. sorts of things we can do, man.
0: I'm I'm all up for all those ideas, man.
1: Cool. So Charlie,
0: cool. Charlie, yeah, I talked to you yesterday. You have a little idea of how I got here. Let's hear about you, my man.
1: Gary, okay, again, thank you for having us on. This is quite the privilege. You know, for me, I always believed that I had big addict and alcoholic switches, and they were bound to get tripped at some point. Of course, that's hindsight. In hindsight, as always, 2020. But, you know, I grew up with uh, a fairly, you know, normal family, mom, dad, uh, two brothers. and, uh, And my dad always said that I had the quickest hand to the cookie jar. And so maybe food was my first, you know, addiction. But my mom died when I was 11 years old from cancer. And that turned our family, and my life, and our collective lives upside down. And I really believe that was kerosene on an already burning campfire of alcoholism and addiction. And really set the stage for decades of alcohol and substance and other addictive behaviors. And I remember really distinctly the first time I drank and got drunk did for me what I could not do for myself, alcohol did. And all I wanted to do was feel like that again. It eliminated the anxiety, the depression, the insecurity, the fear. And it unlocked this version of myself that I always wanted to be. I drank so much they locked me in a dog kennel because I was out of control. And I stopped breathing. My lips turned blue. And my best friend pounded on my chest and somehow revived me. And then they fed me a bottle of syrup of Ipecac. And I proceeded to throw up for like five hours straight in that dude's garage. And all I wanted to do was do it again. Because I didn't remember most of it. Most most of what I related to you got told to me afterwards because I was at a complete blackout. And I was a party legend, okay? And I always say you might have been the quarterback or on the hockey team, but dude, I died and came back to life again, okay? That was serious party cred. And it ignited this match that would always be wanting to be exploded at a party, right? And so, you know, I just went from party to party and tried to find alcohol, and uh, I found marijuana, too. And marijuana, man, that was a lot easier. Weed was a lot easier to get uh, than alcohol was uh, when you were underage uh, at that time. And um, I was constantly seeking to be numbed, to be medicated, to escape. And... I really didn't have a ton of consequences outside. I had to go to treatment when I was 16. And I learned real quick, I lied my ass off in the intake so I didn't have to be an inpatient and somehow talked my way into outpatient treatment. And I waxed poetically about steps I had no intention on working. And it's at the 28 day mark and they're passing the coin around and everybody's telling me how wise I am. And if they just had a shred of the wisdom I had that uh, they would be grateful. And Eileen, the head treatment counselor, tough old old Irish broad, usurps the circle, looks at me straight in the eyes, says, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to this group. You will use again, and it will probably kill you. And she walked out. And everyone's like, what a bitch. like, I know. But she saw right through it all, Gary. And as I... Got out of high school and I had kids real early uh, from my first wife, now ex-wife. And two truths would present themselves on a fairly consistent basis over the next 20 years. Number one, over any length of time, my use, my addiction will become unmanageable. And that will manifest in a variety of ways. For me, it was DWIs, divorces, plural, some sort of internal consequence, a spiritual crisis, an emotional crisis. Still really hadn't dealt with my mom's death. And I made a pretty fateful decision at that time that I wasn't going to let people close. Like you heard in Jason's story, very similar. Like, I don't need you. I'm good. Okay, I'll do this by myself. I've got alcohol. And when I don't have alcohol, I've got any myriad of other whack-a-mole addictions that I can resort to. And the other truth was, over any length of time, I couldn't stay sober by myself. And that would also become unmanageable. And those two truths would consistently come up. I'd try to mitigate or manage or stop altogether and that would become unmanageable and i'd become restless irritable and discontent and have to use and once i used and began that would become unmanageable and every time it became unmanageable i lead would come to my consciousness you're lying to yourself you're lying to this group you're gonna use again and it's gonna kill you i'm on the back end of a third marriage looks at me one day and we'd been together for like a year Like, you drink every day, Charlie. I'm like, well, yeah, but it's not a problem. It's only a few. She kind of crinkles her face at me, and now she's counting, okay? And the problem, Gary, with trying to outsmart somebody that's A, already smarter than you, and B, not drunk, is it doesn't work very well. And she quickly realized, man, it was way more than a few that I was having every night. I was getting drunk every night. And I had a system at that time that I felt was pretty refined. It was the don't eat all day system so that by the time I get home, I can have six IPAs and get super twisted up. That's not a sustainable model in hindsight, Gary, because by the end I was like 118 pounds and uh, literally wasting away. And so, so I think you have a problem baby. I can I can quit anytime I want, okay? She's like, "Sweet, do it." You know I should have seen that one coming. I should have probably should have probably seen that one coming. So I quit for 30 days on Marlborough's and resentments, which I don't recommend. And I said, "See? Told you. Not an alcoholic." Now, this woman, and I don't like to tell other people's stories, so I'll just leave it at she's had some stuff in her past whereby Being married to an active alcoholic was not something that she wanted in any way, shape or form. And I had kept all that from her because I really hadn't admitted it to myself at all. I was still trying to convince myself that I wasn't an alcoholic. I certainly wasn't going to tell somebody else that I was. Uh, Anyhow, oldest child's birthday coming up in Thanksgiving fell on the same day that year. And we can get some alcohol for my folks and celebrate. She's like, "Okay, I'll get it. So I got enough booze to get an army drunk. At the liquor store, but I knew and I never really liked to put myself in this kind of box, the kind of box where I promised myself that I wasn't going to get drunk because I knew myself just well enough to know that I couldn't predict that. But I knew how important this was, that I had to demonstrate that I could drink normally. Everything was riding on this thing. Everything. And so what happens? Start drinking. I can't stop. I'm like watching myself overhead and i can't stop myself i'm drinking half drank wine and i get completely blasted i almost cut my hand off carving the turkey my parents leave after i made a complete ass of myself and she looks at me and she says not trying to be mean what's wrong with you and my son my oldest son looks at her and looks at me and says what do you mean it's just dad he's just drunk again and That was the first time where it really hit me that I wasn't fooling anybody. And she's like, you got to go to treatment or it's over. Like, okay. And I went to treatment, not because I wanted to quit or I wanted to get sober. I wanted to not get divorced for the third time. Okay. That's why I went to treatment. So I got in and I'm in the intake and I cannot tell you why this happened. But for some reason, something came over me. And for the first time in my life, I was completely honest with another human being about the full scale and scope of my alcoholism and addiction. And I cried like a baby in that treatment counselor's office. And she asked me, she said, well, what do you want to get out of this thing? That I, I want to know why I am the way I am. And she laughed at me and said, okay, well, let's say we figure it out. Let's say it's because you always had big addict and alcoholic switches and they were bound to get tripped at some point. Or let's say it's because your mom died when you're 11. Or let's say it's a combination of the two. Given that, If we figure that out, do you ever think you're going to be able to use safely again? No, I don't. Do you ever think you'll be able to drink normally again? No, I don't. Cool. Should we figure out how we get better instead of why you are the way you are? That was the first light bulb moment for me. Like, yes, let's figure out how we get better. Because I never, ever wanted to feel like that ever again. Ever. That was... It was less about not drinking for me. It was less about not using it at that moment. I just didn't want to keep living the way I was living. And I was willing, finally, to surrender to it all and fully admit my addiction and alcoholism and start trying something different. So I immediately went home and told my then wife all the things that I did that she didn't know that I did which, again, I don't recommend. There's a reason the steps are in order, and that's like step nine, and I hadn't really even worked step one proper. We're not married anymore, Uh, and really, that's for the best. Uh, I am engaged to an amazing woman, and I couldn't be more grateful for that, and life has a way of working itself out the way it's supposed to, and um, she bless her heart, allowed me to stay on her really, 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 really good insurance, even though she hated my guts, long enough not only to go to Hazelden, uh, but also outpatient, but also extended outpatient. And it's what I needed in order to be able to launch my recovery. And I always say for me, it took working the 12 steps in order with a sponsor. Jason says running the experiment. I say it all the time. I listened to a lot of Joe and Charlie in the beginning, and they just kept saying, run the experiment. Run the experiment. Don't worry about the process. Don't think about the process. Don't judge the process. Don't analyze the process. Just do it to the best of your ability and see what happens. If you don't like the result, we'll happily refund your misery. And that's what I did. I just did the steps to the best of my ability in order with a sponsor, but I also went on a therapeutic journey and I make sure to call that out. That was critical for me to be able to work the 12 steps in order with a sponsor and engage in a therapeutic relationship. I did EMDR and the combination of those two unlocked my recovery in a way I never thought possible. And the 12 steps gave me a design for living. And the therapy allowed me to move through the trauma, which were triggering each, they were triggering each other. I began to pray to a God that I didn't understand, I had no concept of. I have an experience of a higher power today. I don't have an understanding of a higher power as much as I have an experience of a higher power. Because I ran the experiment. And I wiped the slate clean. I hated God. I wanted nothing to do with God but I was willing to run the experiment. And today, because of the work that I did and continue to do on a daily basis, I've been able to recover out loud and integrate my recovery as a core piece of my identity. And it's turned into a total superpower. And I'm able to use my gifts, skills, talents, in a abilities to be able to serve and love on others in an increasingly effective way and that's the whole ball game for me is to be able to get out of my own way enough so that I can use my god-given skills gifts ab- abilities and talents to help people in and out of recovery on a daily basis unbelievable
0: just I am amazed as you're speaking this whole time of absolute clarity. You had the entire entire way. It's uh it's really amazing even how you're describing where when you were out there, what happened and 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 now in your sobriety and you had your son spell it out for you in your face and that's what kind of that was that aha if you will moment, right? Like that was the punch, that was the gut punch right that took the wind out of your sails that that one right that's a tough one that's a real yeah. man i wrote so much stuff down you know i'm always amazed right when, when i'm in meetings or we're doing this and you know we can talk about our troubles and talk about our past and you guys have incredible stories right but i'm also when you step back and you look into the mindset of the addict or the alcoholic like only a sick man would sit there all day and say, I'm not going to eat today because I'm going to have six, seven or eight IPAs. And this is because I don't want to interfere with how that's going to feel when I get home and you complete that little task, right? I mean, only a sick guy, man, woman, whoever, who has that mind, that's, a, that's an alcoholic mind for sure.
1: No question. The depravity of it in hindsight. And I thought I was a genius at the time. Right. Like I got this figured out, right?
0: Right. Like, I'm just not I mean. going to eat
1: all day. That way I don't have to have 13 or 14.
0: Amazing. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, yeah. It's that's, a life hack. hack. You save money and <laughs> it's a you life get hack. more
2: fucked up. Dude, I remember my mom telling me that numbers of times when I'd like barbecue or something at, when I was staying with her and I'd be like, you know, trying to feed her. And she'd be like, no, I'll, I'll eat later. She never wanted to eat until she was done drinking.
1: And, and dude, then I would binge like after I got completely drunk, then I, you know, my head would be at a bag of chips or whatever I could find and I'd be, you know, was ravenously hungry because I
0: didn't eat all day. Yeah, you know, that's amazing I, I for me I don't know if I ever like kind of really life hacked that but I remember clearly <laughs> like not having enough time like I can't eat right now it's gonna take up 15 minutes no way I need to go like, I need to go if I was going to the bar I'd, I'd have a sandwich like in the parking lot I wouldn't even eat it like because I needed to go like I was in a different spot right like no time to even eat. You know, that's what, I, you know, and I said yeah. it yesterday too, like staring at my computer all day, a young man say, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink today. And then, you know, start sweating and then you feel a little bit better a little later, but I'm still not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink. And then, you know, five o'clock I'm out drinking and I'm not going home again and I'm not coming in the next day and over and over and over again. Charlie, can you do us a favor? Can you elaborate? Can you tell us about the EMDR? I'd love to hear about this. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It was transformational for me. And it was offered to me uh, as a part of my Hazelden experience. And EMDR therapy is a modality of therapy that allows, well, let me speak really personally about my own EMDR experience. It allowed me to be able to move through my trauma in a way that felt safe. And so the process for me was this. We started talking about the trauma my mom. You know, I think it was probably two months before we really focused on the day she died. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. My younger brother and I got called out of school. And I just had this terrible feeling all day even before that. Like I just knew something awful. And, you know, my dad was a constant consummate optimist. And he would always tell us, your mom's going to get better. 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 And there was this cognitive dissonance because we saw her not getting better. But we were young and we also wanted to believe she was going to get better. Nonetheless, we called out of school and remember kicking this rock all the way home. And my dad sits us down on the couch and tells us that our mom died. And like, I would get stuck in that over and over and over and over like it paralyzed me man like um in the emdr therapy there's two little like paddles that you hold that uh vibrate and i'm relating this experience to my therapist while these paddles are vibrating and you get used to it because you talk about other things while the paddles vibrate and it's this grounding experience and so there was a real physical grounding. Like I wasn't there because every other time I felt like I was back there in that moment, re, being re-traumatized. But with these paddles and the vibrating, I didn't feel like I was back there. I felt like I was remembering it. And then she asked me to talk to Charlie, who was 11 years old. And what would you tell Charlie if it was your child? What would he need to hear? in that moment and I was able to go through that experience and heal that moment and it's still a powerfully emotional moment when I think about it and relive it but it doesn't paralyze me it doesn't get me into a you know three week funk and it's 100% because I was able to walk through that experience in a completely different way and tell 11-year-old Charlie, that it's going to be okay. And that I know that this is hard, but it's going to be okay. And that I love you, and you're going to be okay. And it was transformational for me to be able to walk through that trauma in a completely different way and leave it there.
0: That's just some powerful, powerful stuff right there. But, you know, I uh, handedly... Never went and spoke uh, therapeutically with someone, and I've been thinking about it again a lot lately. It's been coming up a little bit lately, and you guys are both there. Inspire me a to to take a really good look at that and to improve that, and I think I'm probably should be doing that. And B, with uh, with Jason saying how he's continues to educate himself in the in the addiction world, and it makes me want to do a little bit more in that in that aspect as well too. So there you go back on the pedestal, you guys, you know, but you're inspiring <laughs> me right now. And nice. this has uh, been unbelievable. So you guys have these incredible stories, right? And you finally, you know, Charlie, you you had that when you went and talked to that therapist, right? And I don't know if you planned on going and saying what you were going to say, but you walked in there and all I could think of is you got free you were free from it right at that moment and you started bawling and i love it right you start it comes out and it's a little bit different that time right talking to her getting stuff out maybe stuff you haven't even shared with anyone your whole life and it's just a little bit different i think we all have i spoke about it yesterday jason spoke about it you just did we all have these little moments uh, maybe they're massive moments we just yeah. don't know them at the time I and mean, there's things are there's a little bit of a shift maybe we're given that gift of freedom given that gift of desperation we don't want to live that way anymore like we said all day like don't want to live this way anymore that's why I came in I came in because I don't want to drink anymore and I thought my life was over and little I know it was just starting so you said
1: it brother gift of desperation that's exactly what it was
0: it's amazing and it's a beautiful right it's a it's a true gift like that's not yeah. a you know cliche that's no. real, man. that is a real thing so you guys you have your stories start you're in you went to Extensive rehab, Charlie. Jason, you went through your stuff. Tell <laughs> us what it's like today, and what leads us to the way out podcast.
1: Oh man, that's great. So I think I'll start with uh, a little bit what it's like now and the genesis of the podcast, and I'll let Jason uh, uh, come in with what it's like for him and uh, coming into the podcast because that's a great story too. So I'm going to let him talk about that Can't piece. Wait. But uh, like you, Gary, I kept hearing these really powerful recovery stories, and they were changing me, man. I was hearing people who thought like I thought, drank like I drank, used like I used, did what I did, and they got better. And I wanted what they had. But I also was thinking these stories need to get out of church basements. Mm. And if they're changing me, they could change other people. But then I had this other piece about, you know, did you. Sat in a lot of 12-step meetings. I had that experience at treatment when I was a teenager. And then I was in in my early 20s from a nudge from the judge. And both of those times, man, I, I was just waiting for my turn to talk, to wax poetically about steps I wasn't working. I didn't care what you had to say. Didn't care. Just waiting for my turn to power share. And so I felt conflicted about starting a podcast because I wanted it to be about other people. So the epiphany for me was... You're going to share other people's stories. You're not just going to sit on a podcast and talk about recovery. You're going to share other people's stories. And that's going to be a way to provide a bit of an amend from those previous 12-step stints and also... Serve the recovery community and recover out loud, so I started the way out podcast in twenty sixteen sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics and I didn't know what I was doing uh I made a lot of mistakes if you listen to the first episode and we keep that up there, I keep that up there really for humility more than any other uh you know like mm-hmm. it's it it's a lot different today than it was. In episode one, but you know what? Like, that's the way it is. And uh, you can see the evolution of the podcast and you can, you know, see the evolution of my own recovery through that time as well, right? It was amazing. And I met all these amazing people while I was doing the Way Out podcast and I was learning all these things. And it was such an educational experience. And much of my recovery is very much informed by. All of the amazing people I've been able to have on the Way Out podcast. And Jason was one of those people relatively early on. And he had just an incredible story and just a heart for service. And I put a call out on a Facebook group uh, that's a recovery-centered Facebook group, Sober and Serious. Like, hey, I'm looking for a co-host because I don't know if I can keep doing this all by myself. And... That's that asking for help, mm. like you know. You know and recovery taught me that. And Jason raised up his hand, and um, and um, it, it was just, it's it's it took the podcast in, a, in in such a on a new level, really. And, and to Jason's point, like he began to create his own style, although our format's the same. And we do the intro questions that are the same and the outro questions that are the same and the general templates the same. But he really started to really embody a completely unique style of interview. And so the Way Out audience really does get some different flavor from the interviews I do versus the ones that Jason does. So but yeah, it's it's been tremendous and i'll let jason kind of share about his what it's like now and joining the way out
0: yeah please do jay all right
2: um well first though before i do that there was two things from the, the treatment and therapy part that you guys were talking about that i want to do kind of relate to real quick so like when charlie was talking about when his oldest son just was like what do you mean that's just dad being dad he's just drunk like, again yeah. so this is, i had a similar moment i mean it's way different but it was similar kind of too where i was like tripping off meth whatever i i had my son for the weekend he was three and i can remember i did you know every once in a while i would like shut the phone out and it was very rare but i would be like i need I don't know why, but I just feel like I need to blast off to the moon. So I put him to bed that night. I did way more than I should have. So by the time he was waking up in the morning, I'm like geeking window to window. And I'm just a Gandhi dude. And then he comes, sneaks upstairs because he was little. He was like two, I think, maybe three, almost three. He was, like, sleeping in a playpen, you know, a portable crib downstairs. And then when he woke up, you know, like, I changed his diaper, I fed him, blah, blah, blah. And then I, like, just kept changing the tape in the VCR. Yes, yeah, so I still had a VCR in, t- <laughs> in 2014 or whatever it was. But I was like, dude, I'm up there geeking out. And then he crept up, and I didn't hear him. And when I did, I looked behind me and he's standing there in his diaper and he's like, dude, he should have seen it. Like his body language, everything, he's like acting perfectly like a completely twacked out, weird, weirded out, like tweaker. Staring up, peeping out this, the blinds and shit. And the, the way he did it was just so spot on. And it's the thing that blew my mind about it was like. He's pure innocence, right? And this is only he can only do this because he's just mimicking me. It made me feel like the biggest piece of shit on planet Earth. It really fucked me up. It really fucked with me. And uh I wasn't done right away or nothing after that, but man, that stuck with me. I always, always stuck with me so hard. Mm. Or something about some an experience like that where you finally just see, you know, I don't know if you could call that a moment of clarity, whatever you call it, but I can really, yeah, yeah appreciate and, unbelievable. and I can really appreciate and like, you know, relate to that experience, and then. With therapy, dude, I, therapy was a huge part of my recovery, and I know I kind of skipped over it, but I, I got into CBT, that's cognitive behavioral therapy with a, a guy, and I was going to him for the first year for two two days a week, and then I, I went for like a whole other year for one day a week. Um, and then I also found this meeting on intherooms.com. It's Thursday nights. She still does it. Uh, it's called Healthy Love with Uh, Rachel Levy and she's actually I had the pleasure of interviewing her years later so there's an episode it's called healthy love um, Mm. on our uh, you know catalog but anyway she she kind of blended she created her own healthy love program it's derivative of the 12 steps but it's got elements of shadow work and imago relationship therapy in it as well so not only with the CBT, but with the things that I learned and the exercises that she walked us through in that meeting as well, just mind-blowing stuff, dude. Like, I, you know, it's similar to Charles, I was able to get in touch with my inner child. She made us name it, and it was kind of like a guided meditation, but it was a profound experience for me. I never felt peace like that with the things that I uh, went through as a child but I was able to, it, it put me in a position where I could like really like take the time to love on that child mm-hmm. inside myself that I never really knew I needed to do that or nor did I want to, right? Like I was yeah. un- it's so uncomfortable, but I, it was a safe enough space that it made me feel comfortable going there and giving it a try. And it was really extremely profound. So yeah. Can't say enough about the, you know, again, you know, you're, Just keep seeking, learn as much as you can, because different strokes for different folks, right? Like you're going to find certain things that just feel so right to you and they're going to resonate with you and you're going to have enough curiosity and feel safe enough to, to go there and really try it. And who knows what that is for you. Right, so you got you get you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't work around. So that's all I wanted to say about that. Yeah,
0: well, even with that last little plug there, bud, you were had already been inspiring me, and and I'm I'm listening to you on it, and I have a moment of clarity that the reason I haven't done it clear as day, I'm just afraid to. I'm scared. And, you know, I feel like there's no reason to go back there. I'm okay now, but you know right. that's a bunch of bullshit to be honest with you. And you know, you're inspiring me to to take that next step and go and do that. Hearing your story too, and hearing that that moment when you see your son acting that way and you know i think it speaks also jason to to you though inside you know cuz i'm thinking about if i'm in a position like that especially when i'm in the middle of it i'd probably just bury that and be like oh no that's you know and i and i code over it and and i try to bury that thought, thought. but you know i think it speaks to the kind of person inside and kind of you know, soul that you have that, you know, that was a big moment for you. and you know, you kinda you still have it now. You kinda there's a lot of things I can't shake, but maybe maybe that's another part of my little fear of, of going and going down the rabbit hole of, you know, my childhood and getting growing up and all that stuff. I think it's all kind of tied together and says a lot about mm-hmm. you in my opinion, hearing hearing you talk about that. You know, this disease, too, like it robbed my Like I was soulless by the time I got in. You know, I was a sad human being and I was just so lost. And I feel like I've been given that all back. Like I, I'm finding who I really am supposed to be or who I was before it all kind of turned or I went on the wrong path. And we were all just completely different paths than we are today. You know, I said yesterday, my life's a complete 180 from where it was. And I'm pretty confident in all that that goes for all three of us here. And you know, that's just, uh, it's a beautiful thing, you know, and recover out loud. That's certainly going to be the theme of today's uh, show. But so, Jason, so you see this little kind of, I guess we'll call it an advertisement in a way, but it's not. Charles is looking for a for a co-host and you see this. So tell me what happens. What What? gets your hand up? Uh-huh.
2: Well, we got to <laughs> go backwards, though, because this was, I think I had like five months. Right. <laughs> I was super new. And I went and spoke at this adolescent treatment center in Minnesota, speak to some kids with another guy. And there was a, a lady there too. And she, like, when she spoke, she was like, I think that was really my first time hearing somebody speak. And even though she was a chick and I'm a dude, it was like, wow. You know, like she's telling my story, dude, like crazy. The the similarities and it freaking blew my mind. So like, and you know, I thought she was hot, so and I'm like, <laughs> I look at my buddy, and I'm like, she will be mine. But that's neither here nor there because that didn't really bear much fruit down the road. <laughs> I mean, we we had a little bit of time together, and then it was like she wanted to, you know, date other people, and I wasn't cool. You know, I was I don't like to share, so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you can do that, but that's cool with me and anyway so i'm like she told me she did this show the way out podcast she's like i just recorded it it just came out you should check it out she sent me the link and so i went home that night and you know we're texting and i'm all excited because she's gonna be mine you know and so i'm listening to her story and whatever it 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 was powerful even the second time you know and it was more in depth than it was in front of the kids and she a little bit more uncensored she swore a lot though in the adolescent treatment center but you know there's any certain parts you leave out like these little fuckers can't understand this shit anyway so then i'm listening and uh at the end, Charles is like, you know, if you want to share your story, email us at share at wayoutcast.com. Still the same email, you guys. <laughs> wink, wink. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I just felt this tug, dude. And I don't know where it came from because I was just stepping my toe over the line mm. to start sharing in meetings at that time. I, I went to meetings for a long time and I didn't share. I would show up five minutes late, and I would leave five minutes early because I didn't want to know any fucking names. I didn't trust any of this. I thought it was – I really thought most of the people were full of shit. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, man, I should email that dude, man. He sounds like a cool dude, and I need to do it. I feel like I need to do it. I don't know why I feel like I need to do it. Maybe it can help somebody. And then, you know, I think, too, about, like, just the whole journey, man, of this – the whole process of growth and change that we've gone through uh on the show and, and the fact that I've always made it a point to be super like genuine about where I'm at, like I don't hold nothing back. In fact, if I'm going through hard shit, I typically try to find some perfect segue to like interject and like throw it in there because I need to talk about the stuff and I trust Charlie to give it to me straight and it like helped walk me through that. So we've had some very like emotional and raw moments in the process of even those topic episodes yeah. on the show, because I was dealing with something like that in the time. And then I just say it, you know, vice versa as well. He's done mm-hmm. it too. Um, but I just like super open book with this shit. And yeah. so, I mean, like if you're a regular listener or if you're new and you're just like, whatever you're thinking about looking through, I mean, I, I, w- I would venture to say that you would really have a pretty thorough view of my, development through this process of recovery just by listening to the catalog uh especially through the those topic when we were doing topic shows regularly was probably the first between like when i was about at a year and a half Till 'till like three and a half years clean. So I was still like really struggling with a lot of, you know, when life gets lifey. Yeah,
0: 100%. And that's how do I
2: cope with this shit? You know, like I I was learning a lot
0: at the time. So, well, you bring up a really important point too. And we touched upon this yesterday when we talked, Charlie, is you know, we raise our hand. You got to raise your hand. You got to share with the room, share with the group what's going on in your life, right? You can't, you know, it's not just strictly you know, having to do with drinking and drunkenness, like you want to get better, right? We're always, every room I'm in, I'm surrounded by men and women that want to improve and get better today. And you need Mm -hmm. to share what's going on in your life because there'll be someone or multiple people that can relate or have some advice or have been exactly where you are and they come and they pull you over and you know what, you feel a little bit better and, and vice versa. When you hear someone else saying something, going through something in life, say, Hey man, I've been through something similar. Here's how I did it. You know, give me a call too. If you. I understand where you are, that stuff is so super, super important. And yeah. You touch upon it. It's, it's such a huge deal.
2: Yeah. And sometimes you get to be of service. That's great. But sometimes you get to be the service opportunity you know, if you don't speak on shit when you're going through rough stuff, you're cheating yourself. I mean, what makes this work, right? It's it's the connections with others. Mm. You know, even if you, I always tell people like when they struggle with the higher power thing, I'm like, it doesn't matter, dude. Like, because God works in people's lives through other people most of the time. But if you're not being authentic, If you're not asking for help or whatever, then you're not giving people the chance to help you. Right. Because people don't know the shit unless you tell them. Like, closed mouths don't get fed. Mm,
1: No question. And when I was in these 12 step meetings and I was hearing other people be vulnerable and be authentic and share the struggles, which I never shared to anybody ever. In the Norwegian stoicism, (laughs) my ass would be on fire and I'd be like, I'm good. Yep. (laughs) And and I still struggle with that. But y'all taught me to be vulnerable and share what I'm struggling. And when I do that, I get help in spades. And God, my higher power, the God of my understanding Speaks through other people. And that's the primary way I hear my higher power today is through other people. But I have to be willing to listen Mm. and I have to be willing to ask for help. And really, the Way Out podcast, and I think the Begin Again podcast is really rooted in this idea that sharing our stories is the lifeblood of the recovery community. Because it allows for people to share their own way out. And somebody somewhere needs to hear that in a unique way. Like my story is going to help a certain amount of people. I don't get to decide who that helps. Jason's story is going to help a certain amount of people. He didn't get to decide your story, Gary. You don't get to decide. I'm responsible for being the best example of recovery today I can be. And for my own personal recovery, recovering out. Loud, and the more people that take that risk and recover out loud, the more people we can help.
0: Amen to that, bud. Amen to that. That is so well said. I was going to say, you know, we're talking about bottling stuff up too on top of it, but you just wrapped that up too perfectly, my man. So I totally agree. All right, let me ask you guys one last final question uh, Charlie, you can go first. All right. What are you telling the newcomer? What is your message of hope for that newcomer that just can walk through that, walk to that basement or came through those doors?
1: Oh man. Uh, what a question. I love that question, by the way, I'm telling that newcomer to find the people that have what you want and do what they do and do what they did. That's what I did. I found the people that had what I wanted, and I did what they did. If they said, make my bed, I made my bed Mm -hmm. in the morning. If they said, work the steps in order with a sponsor, I did that too. So find the people that have what you want and do what they do. And the other piece I would say is just run the experiment. Don't worry about the process. Just run that experiment
0: i love that i so love that run the experiment i think that's the other theme of today's show for sure and jason i was i was asking charlie one final question i want to hear from you too is what are you telling what is your message of hope for that newcomer that just walked through the door
2: you know we hear it if if you if you ever been to a 12-step meeting i don't care what state or country you're in whatever we we hear it all the time it's keep coming back right bring the body and the mind will follow like I can't tell you how many months I went to meetings. Like I said, five minutes late, leave five minutes early. I purposely did that. I didn't share. And I probably either on my phone or sitting there, you know, obsessing about my own shit. So I was maybe getting half if, and that's probably being generous of what was being said in those meetings. Right. And I did that for a long time. But even if you're only getting a little less than half, you start to notice when this thing seems to be working for people, if -hmm. you keep coming back. And then next thing you know, you're like, wow, that shit really looks like it's working. So then I would be like, then my untrusting side would kick in. And I'd be like, that's a fluke or they're full of shit. And like now I'm just going to be like watching that person because I don't believe this. Yep. And then weeks, months go by. They're growing even more. In fact, holy shit, like down they're like, they seem really happy. They seem mm-hmm. like they have peace. You know, they're going through court still. And like they were so fearful before, but now they seem like they're like really like calm about the whole thing. I don't know. So I would just watch thinking they were gonna fall. And lo and behold, they didn't fall. They continued to rise. And then I finally was like, you know what, dude? God won't, God knows my shit my way ain't working i need to try this and uh so what happened i started to talk and then when i talked i got swarmed i got like a million friend requests i got numbers given to me left and right and i i uh you know i started to show up early to hang out i started to go out to fellowship people would make me i didn't have no money they'd be like i got you get you some chicken strips or something fucking a dude i was and at that time i didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of and i didn't have a job so they would bring me man and i was going to like at least one meeting a day and some days on the weekends it would be like i remember on saturdays sometimes i would go to the 8 a.m I would go to the 7 p.m. AA Allen on Mixed Group, and then I would go to the 9.30 Candlelight meeting at Blaine. So I was like triple dipping on some days,
0: you know. That was a good day. Yeah, man.
2: You know,
1: I got to say this. This is just, you you talk about Jason, that thinking people are full of crap. And I know we're coming toward the end, but I just distinctly remember early in my recovery this time around listening to some dude. Tell God and everybody that the obsession has been removed. I'm like that is some kind of bullshit. Yeah. He, is, <laughs> he is lying no, to everyone. Too. That I, is complete bullshit. Oh, right? I, but I just kept running the experiment. Right? And, it, it, and part of me was like, that doesn't. Ha- I mean, this thing plagued me for twenty plus years. It's been removed. Like, okay, well, maybe you're not really an alcoholic then. Hundred percent
0: of the same spot. Yeah, right? call bullshit. I did. <laughs> Professional, at it. I was, you know. And Jason, you, you know what you were mentioning is checking the box. You go in five minutes late. You sit in the back. You don't say a word. You leave a couple of minutes early. I did that for four years, and guess what? I never stayed sober. When I, right. stayed, I, I, I haven't done it in seven plus, seventeen plus years. I try to sit in the front and get my hand up, and I share, and I go, go to and I pay attention to that meeting. And Charlie, yeah, and you got, you know, call him bullshit. Like you know, here's one that. It took me a little while. You have the obsession to drink. Oh yeah, yeah. obsession. Sure, sure. You're not an alcoholic, then. You right. <laughs> I'm a grateful alcoholic. Wait, what did you just say? You're grateful about this? Yeah, I'm gonna call bullshit on that one. Right. <laughs> guess what, boys, and guess what, everyone out there, honest to God, today. I am a grateful alcoholic because I'm turning this thing on its head and I'm Mm -hmm. built to serve and to help, like I said, one person today. I say that one person with hopes of building this this audience of mine here to help maybe more than one person, but I'm turning it on its head. And by the way, your daughter's beautiful, buddy. I have a a 10-year-old daughter. She looks like about the same age as your girl, and I have an eight-year-old son. And guess what? If I'm not sober, they don't exist. They're not here, man. So- I am a super super grateful alcoholic for sure. No mm-hmm. question.
1: Proof positive that the obsession's been removed one day at a time and, and right. that today I am grateful to be no bullshit. Yep, no bullshit. <laughs> so bullshit. I am grateful to be co- to be a recovering addict and alcoholic.
0: All the same yeah. you, man. 100%. So boys, Charlie, Jason on the sober coaching where do we find you guys?
1: WayOutCast.com. You'll see recovery coaching. You'll have uh, bios of Jason and I, our whole catalog of episodes. It's all on WayOutCast.com.
2: Yeah. So, and there's also a little section where you can get some recovery merch. Yeah. We, we you know, couple like, you know, unofficial, but like support partners that, uh, you know, we support their shows and they they support our show uh so we have some other people's stuff on there and a couple way out podcast items as well on there indeed indeed Uh, and we
1: do have a recovery resources section right to your point that has a lot of other recovery episodes we gotta add the begin again podcast onto our recovery resources yes.
0: for sure. Do. Awesome. You got it, bro. Well, let's close it on there. Guys, listen, this has been, you know, you know when you, we've been here for what an hour and 40 minutes and I can keep, I can go a whole, other, a whole nother 100%. hour, and 40 <laughs> and just like enjoy this yeah. time. And you know, that's a group of guys and a great show. So I, yeah, from the bottom of my heart, can't thank you enough for your mission and for what you're doing. I can't thank you enough for being one of my, uh, Mentors in a way, guys I look up to in this space, and it's just amazing where we are. I'm over here and Charlie mentioned it yesterday, a Yankee fan and a twins fan, and we're getting we're hugging it out virtually right now. I'm giving you guys a hug, man. (laughs) No doubt. Only (laughs) in
1: recovery get a Yankees fan and a Twins fan bond like we did, Gary.
0: Maybe people with calling BS on that one right now. Well, listen boys thank you so much it's been such a pleasure having you on what an amazing episode again here on the begin again podcast we are going to be here for the long haul and i can't wait to share this with the world boys
1: gary thank yeah, you man. so much for having us on for doing what you're doing and for sharing your story with us on the way out podcast it's all been absolutely tremendous yeah
2: man
0: We're god, out loud. god,
2: god bless, bless you and gary and everything right man Just, you guys Best of luck. And I hope that, you know, God continues to bless your show, bless your audience, and uh, spread that message, boy.
0: That's what yeah, we're doing. I appreciate it. I'm right back at you, too. And like I said, this is, uh, we're just getting started, us three. So what a pleasure getting to meet you, boys. So I thank you so much for today. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Gary. Thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to another powerful episode of the Begin Again podcast. We sincerely appreciate your time and support. We hope that today's conversation has ignited a spark within you, affirming that recovery is not only attainable, but can also be a wellspring of strength and resilience. Our ultimate goal is to make a difference in someone's life every single day. By sharing these stories of redemption, we strive to empower you and inspire you to unlock your fullest potential, facilitate positive transformations, and contribute to creating a better future for yourself, for your loved ones, and the world at large. If you know someone who could benefit from listening to our show, please share it with them. And if you resonate with our mission and feel compelled to do so, we would greatly appreciate your support through a five-star review following us on instagram and subscribing to our youtube channel the begin again podcast the more positive reviews we receive and the wider our message spreads the greater our collective ability to help others realize that change is possible in their own lives thank you once again for being a part of our community may you be blessed on your own journey of personal growth and transformation